In the 1970s, Stevie Wonder wrote a song. Uh, he recorded a song called, You Ain't Done Nothing. And that song was actually a somewhat angry and thinly veiled criticism of who? Anybody remember? President Richard Nixon. He said, you haven't done anything good. He was mad at him because Stevie believed that the president's promises had been empty and he was incensed by the growing Watergate scandal. Well, it became a big success because a lot of people were frustrated at that time. Now, to say that somebody's done nothing good is a little cruel because people, even patting a kid on the head can be a nice thing. Um, but he was making a strong statement. What he said that's, that I think sold the song and stood with most people the most, I thought it was the title of the song, was the chorus. Do you remember the chorus? He says, do the walk. Remember that? He keeps saying, do the walk. Come on, do the walk for your people now. Do the walk. Do you remember that? He doesn't do dop, do wop, wop, wop. And then he says, do the walk. I, don't, I can't do it. And they has trumpets blaring in the background, all that, you know, Stevie Wonder style. But the whole idea was do the walk, do the walk, do the walk. What's he talking about? You've got to walk your talk. And, and what he's saying is really transcends generations. We need to do our, you know, if, if you are going to be in leadership, then you need to walk your talk. If you make promises, you need to fulfill them. If you say you're going to be a certain kind of person, you need to be that person. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to do the walk, right? Now, there's one problem. Nobody's ever been able to do it. We all stumble and fall. There's only one person who was ever able to do the walk. And that was Jesus himself. Jesus said he was going to die. He said he was going to resurrect. And he said he was going to make it possible for everybody to have entry into eternal life in heaven. And what did he do? He delivered. And that's what we celebrated last week on uh, Resurrection Sunday. As we celebrated the Easter holidays. And we, it, was, it was an exciting time. And it should be because we recognize what Jesus did. And today we're going to continue in that same topic and we're going to talk some more about Easter. You know, you thought it was all over. Usually we only have one day, but we're going to come back. We're going to look at what happened the afternoon of Resurrection Sunday. We're going to pick it up, and what we're going to see is Jesus is literally walking with two other people in this passage, and he models what it's like to walk and talk with Jesus for them and for us. It changes their lives, and it can change our lives too when we begin to understand what happens when Jesus works through us. And Though we're never going to be perfect, we can begin to do the walk when we walk with him. We're going to look at Luke chapter uh, 24 today, verses 13 through 35. And we're going to start by looking at the, the first, oh, first couple paragraphs or so, uh, verses 13 through 30. I'm sorry, got tongue-tied. Verses 13 through 25. So doing the walk with Jesus requires first that we talk with him. Let me read this first part, 13 through 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, 
Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not find. So it's that same day. It's still Easter. And that afternoon, these people are going to this place called Emmaus. There are two of them, and they appear very clearly within the context to be two of Jesus' disciples. We might call them followers. It means the same thing today. They're followers of Jesus. And they're leaving because the Passover week is over. It ended with the big Passover Sabbath on Saturday. So they're done. So if you were there and you were at a helicopter and you were flying over Jerusalem, which of course you wouldn't have been doing then because they didn't have helicopters, but if you were, you would see people flooding out of all the gates of Jerusalem. Everybody's heading home. Pilgrims are going home. The holiday's over. And these people appear to live in a place called Emmaus, a really nice swank suburb near Jerusalem. Actually, we don't know that. We don't, we, you know what, how much we know about Emmaus? really just that it's mentioned here. We know very little about it. We don't even know where it was at in terms of whether it was north, west, south, east. It doesn't say. We don't even know how far away it was. You say, well, it says it's seven miles. Well, roughly, according to their measurements, but was it seven miles straight there or round trip? It could have been round trip. If it is round trip, by the way, there's an enticing possibility, but I don't want to go there because we don't know for sure. And it doesn't probably matter that much. It's just that it was this little village that they knew about at that time, and these two people appeared to live there. And so they're heading on their way, and they're talking to each other about what happened. The language that is used here means they were exchanging ideas with each other. They were debating. They were saying, what do you think really happened? And it was intense conversation. Do you ever rehash things? Can, Marnie does. She started laughing. Um, it can be... It can be good or bad. Last week, I, I don't know about you, I had such a good time last Sunday. We had everybody, we had one service, everybody just packed in here, our big family, it felt so good. And my, my Morgan's testimony was, was awesome. She did, did a great job. And I was listening to Mitch and I was thinking about the fact that I read recently that a lot of times pastors, lead pastors like myself, don't actually enjoy worshiping in their church because they're so distracted with all the things on their minds. But I don't have any problems. When Mitch and the gang gets up there, I, and I just thoroughly enjoy it. And those songs just ring in my ears for days later. So I had so much fun. We had a big party afterwards. I was on cloud nine, and we just kept, Carrie and I just kept talking about it over and over again. Can you imagine being married to me? I like to talk, you know, so we talk for a long time about how, what a good time we had. They're talking about what a bad time they had, and they're so caught up in it, they probably don't even notice this pilgrim, fellow pilgrim, coming walking alongside them until he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they look over, and who is it? It's Jesus. But did they recognize him? 
They couldn't recognize him because Jesus supernaturally prevented them from recognizing him. Why would Jesus do that? I mean, if they recognized him, they would believe based on what they saw, right? But perhaps he's teaching them that they should believe even when they don't see him that he's still there. And that they should believe what he said about himself and what the Bible said about him to be true all along. And he's going to go in and teach them that. But it's a good lesson for us. Because Jesus walks with us today too, right? Jesus is God. So even though he's at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, he's everywhere. He's here right now. Do we live like he's here right now? That's a good lesson for them and a good lesson for us. When he asks them this question, they are downcast, despondent, despairing, forlorn. They're, they're upset. They stop doing the walk. They just stop right there and hang their heads. Oh, I can't believe you're asking this. And it's very ironic. almost makes you chuckle a little bit because they're basically saying, didn't you hear that this guy died? And he's the guy right in front of him. He's alive. And, and they're saying, don't you know anything? And he's about to show them that he knows everything. And so they're kind of frustrated with this thing when they decide to talk. And the guy that's highlighted is Cleopas. How much do we know about Cleopas? Not much more than we know about Emmaus. We, we don't know much about Cleopas. We know his name, and we assume that because his name is here given, that the people that Luke was writing to knew Cleopas. He was well known in those days. He's not well known to us today. Now, Eusebius, the so-called Father of church history, several centuries later, felt that Cleopas was the same person as Cleophas, who's mentioned by John in John chapter 19, verse 25, and appears to be the paternal uncle of Jesus. But the name, the spelling's different. It has an H in it. It's Cleophas instead of Cleopas. And people have looked into it through the years, and the consensus generally is that it's not the same guy. Possible, but very unlikely. Probably Cleopas was just like anybody in this room. Just a regular person who was a follower of Jesus Christ. More important than Cleopas is the other person who's unnamed. Why? Because you have to have two people. Otherwise, it's just your word against somebody else, right? And so there's two people, two witnesses. Who is this other person? Most people believe it was just another relatively unknown follower. Some suggest it might be Mrs. Cleopas. Possible, but we don't know for sure. At any rate, it appears that Cleopas is the main person speaking, and he says, let me tell you who he was. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. He says he was a great prophet. Notice he says he was a prophet, but does he say he's the Messiah, which is Hebrew for the deliverer, or Christ means the same thing in Greek. Does he say he's the Messiah Christ? Does he say he's the Son of Man? No, he just says he's a prophet. He just, he's just a prophet like any other great speaker. So that's all he says. And then he goes and he says, oh, it was the fault of our religious leaders. They were the ones who were at fault in all of this. Doesn't see himself and his lack of trust or faith. He says, we had hoped, past tense. Once upon a time, we thought that he was going to redeem Israel and literally release us from, release Israel from what? what who's bondage from, from Rome, right? So remember, a couple weeks ago on Palm Sunday, Clifton did a great job explaining how they were looking for a revolution and they wanted a revolutionary leader. They're still back on Palm Sunday. We thought he was the guy who was going to lead the revolution. We thought he was the guy who was going to overthrow Rome. But now, 
Now we don't know what to believe. And then this thing gets a little bit weird because of what happened on the third day. Remember, we talked last week that there were a number of examples through the Old Testament that people would have delivery on the third day. On the third day, something significant would happen so that the Jewish religious leaders, especially the Pharisees, had come to, to believe that there was this special thing about the third day. They called it the day of salvation. And they had even come up with the idea that on the third day, that's when your soul leaves your body and goes to heaven, where you would sleep until the distant future, where you'd have the day of consummation, your body would come back or whatever. And they, this was kind of their theology. And so they're saying, well, maybe there is something special about this third day. The ladies go and that tomb is empty. But notice, he doesn't say they saw angels, does he? He says they saw a what? A vision of angels. Everything he says shows that he is a perplexed doubter. He's struggling to believe after all that he's seen. But he's just, he's pouring, pouring his gut out to Jesus and how frustrated he is. He's doubting because he hasn't seen the body. But as we've said, Jesus is there. Jesus walks with us all the time, even today. And Jesus demonstrates, once again, as he does throughout his entire ministry, that he wants to listen. He sits back and he lets them talk. And he wants to do the same with us. That's what we call prayer. We knowingly should be pouring our hearts out to him, just as this guy did unknowingly, not realizing that it was Jesus that he was speaking to at that time. So we see how important it is to communicate to God. To, you know, when you're walking with somebody, and Jesus wants, and it's figuratively the word, the walk is often used in Scripture, this whole idea of interacting with somebody, it starts, you've got to communicate to them. We need to talk to Jesus, even as these guys did on this occasion. Now, the next thing that we see is they need to listen to him in verses 25 through 27. It says, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wow, what a zinger, huh? He says, did, did the, not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what, he was, uh, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So he rebukes them. And he says they should have known. And what they should have known is that the Christ is supposed to suffer before he goes to his glory. Where would his glory be? That would be at the right hand of God the Father, which is what Jesus predicted at his, at his trial in uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 69. He says, I'm going to go, I want to be at the right hand of God. And now he's there. And now he's in his glory. And so that's what's going to happen. But he's going to go through the suffering first. And he says, you guys should have known this. Why? Well, he's told them, but it's interesting. Joe, you and I had this discussion after church last week. Remember, Joe and I had this discussion. Is, um, um, in, in, if you go back to Luke chapter 9, verse 45, it says that God prevented them from understanding. Jesus prevented them from understanding what he was teaching them about his resurrection. So they didn't know. I mean, he didn't want them to know everything too soon or else they might rush the crucifixion and so forth. So he prevented them from fully understanding what he was teaching. However, now that he's resurrected, what do you think? Should they know? Now it appears that that has been taken away and they have every opportunity to know. And this is what I base it on. When he talked to the women last week and told them the same thing and he said, remember what he said? And as soon as they told the women, the women said, that's it, we believe, we understand. 
But when this was told to these guys, they said, I don't know. It doesn't sound right to us. It doesn't fit with what we've been told. And it didn't. Because if we go back, did you know that the Jewish people in those days did not believe that the Messiah would ever suffer? They didn't think that was part of the equation. So prevailing, the prevailing culture at the time said this couldn't be. And they bought into it. And Jesus said, why did you buy into it? It wasn't just what I said. Of course, he doesn't tell them that right then. But he says, but it's what the Bible's already said. He says it's in Moses and the prophets, and later he'll say in the Psalms, which is a description of the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament then. You know why they didn't call it the Old Testament then? Yeah, also they didn't have a New Testament. It wasn't old, they didn't have a New Testament, right? So they didn't have the two. So now you have an Old Testament, you have a New Testament. And so he says the Old Testament, the same books that we have in our Old Testament today, if you'd have just read them and paid attention, you didn't have to listen to all these other guys. You would have known what is true. And he goes through and he walks through the whole thing. He takes passages probably like the third chapter of Genesis where we get the first prophecies about the Messiah. He probably goes through um, Psalm 118 and Psalm 22 and, and Isaiah 53 and just passage after passage talking about how he would suffer and how he would you know, rise again, how all these pieces would come together. And he explains it to them. Um, so it's, it's really pretty pretty amazing stuff that he just goes through all these things and it, again it, it, it really gets us thinking for me one of the things it gets me thinking of is do we today ever let our prevailing culture influence what we believe to be true about Jesus okay because it, it, it are the things we watch on television you know if you say you watch a Bible series on television does that influence what you know about the Bible or is what you're reading from the Bible influence it? Things that people tell you, books that you read, or even pastors. I mean, I could be selling you a, a bill of goods, and I'd have to answer to God for that, but you will too. Were you listening? Were you looking into it yourself? Were you really wrestling with it? Or were you just letting me tell you whatever I told you? So it's very important that we understand that. There's another thing that Jesus does in this passage that I think is intriguing. He models how to share your faith with somebody. And what he does is he goes through the whole Bible. You know, when we talk about sharing the gospel, we usually mean, well, Jesus died, he rose from the grave, and you know, you need, you're now you're a sinner and you need him, and, and we have some kind of combination thereof. And that's all we give. And maybe we'll have a little booklet. Now, it's not wrong to do that because... We don't always have time to say, hey, do you have three hours? Let me tell you. Because that's not going to work for most people, right? You want to take a walk? You know, we'll walk from here to, um, you know, to, to the, uh, well, how far would we go? I mean, we have the Manteca. We'll walk the Manteca together. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't work, right? So what he does is, you know, what we do usually is we give a synopsis. Like in our church, we talk about the ABCs on Sunday mornings, almost every Sunday morning, and we'll say, uh, for anybody that doesn't know Christ, we'll say that A, you admit that you're a sinner in need of a, a Savior. B, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for his sins and rose from the grave. And C, you choose to follow Christ and place your faith in him alone. If you want to do that, if you're interested in doing that, we always say, and I'll say it today, if you don't know the Lord, come and talk to us about it. Because we want you to understand what that means. That's why we say that at the end, by the way. Is we don't want, you know, a lot of times people say, okay, I made a decision for Christ, but do you understand what you did? Did you really make a decision? 
Do you really understand what this is all about? And that's why it's so important to come and talk and work through it and, and look at the different texts. And that's where we get more into what the Bible says. And that's why it's so important to get into Bible studies and get into small groups so that we can grow in our relationship with God. Because it, you know, it, it doesn't just happen. And in a sense, the gospel is not just this short presentation. In a sense, this is the gospel. It's anything that talks about who Jesus is. And the whole Bible points to Jesus. And Jesus gives a classic example of it in this passage. What's next is a little bit interesting. He, it talks about them recognizing him. And we're going to talk about if you're doing a walk with Jesus, we'll recognize him. So not only should we talk to him through prayer, not only should we listen to him primarily through reading the Bible and learning what he tells us through the Bible, but we should get to the point where we recognize him. And let's look at this, uh, these verses now, starting at verse 28. It says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now here it goes. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Wouldn't that be amazing? They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So this is a powerful passage. So they're walking with Jesus and we have a lesson here in what we would call ancient hospitality. This is how they did it in those days. Jesus, when it says he acted like he was going to go on, it literally says, the best translation would be, he pretended he was going to go on. But we don't say he pretended he was going to go on because it almost makes Jesus sound like there, there's pretension in his life, that he's being deceptive. But he's not. He's just being polite. Because you would not go to somebody and say, hey, mind if I come and stay? I just met you. Can I come stay at your house tonight for dinner? You don't do that in that culture. You would just act like I'm on my way and then watch. Are they going to ask me? Are they going to ask me? And, and, they, and they do. In fact, it says that they urged him to stay, which literally means they forced him to stay. If this was Oakdale, it would mean they lassoed him and pulled him on in. Now, they didn't literally do that, but figuratively speaking, they went out of their way to say, please stay with us. They were so impressed with his teaching, apparently. So they bring him into the home, and this is what's intriguing, is next thing we know, Jesus is serving them. How many of you have the person come into your home serve you? Usually the master of the house at least will say the grace and hand everything out. But either because Jesus was older or more probably because they were so impressed with what he'd been teaching, they actually asked Jesus to serve them. And then as he's doing it, they recognize him. What caused them to recognize him? You think about that? He, they ate hundreds of meals with Jesus. They'd seen him do this over and over again. They saw him break the bread um, you know, when they had the loaves and the fishes and they fed 5,000 people. One thing about the Christian faith is most of it, what we have heard, have for us in the Bible is about walking and eating. One of the reasons I became a Christian. I really enjoy the food. The potlucks are wonderful, right? It's not so much about potlucks, but it is about relationships. They spent time talking together. We Families don't even meet together for dinner anymore. There's no point of contact with anybody. They talked, they ate together, they talked together, they spent time together. So they knew Jesus, and they had seen him do this 
Many times, and I almost wonder if it, when he snapped the bread, if that maybe was what was the cue that broke the spell, so to speak. Or maybe it was just when he turned over his hands and they saw the scars. Maybe they hadn't noticed the scars until then. But one thing is for certain, none of that would have caused them to recognize him had Jesus himself not lifted the veil from their eyes. He may have used those factors, but it was he who supernaturally said, now you can recognize me. And as soon as they did, what happened to him? He disappeared. The word for disappeared here, because we're wondering if there's something more to it, but the word literally means to become unseen, to become invisible. It's, he vanished in thin air. Now that's just, it's unbelievable that he could do that. But see, Jesus could do whatever he wanted to do. Remember earlier he'd say, it's not my time yet? Well, his time has come. He can do whatever he wants now. So he says, I'm out of here. See you guys later. He's gone. And they're looking around. They don't know where he is. And what they experienced at that time is they said to each other, didn't, you, didn't we both feel this feeling in our hearts? This burning sensation? They had a spiritual sensation inside of them. They knew all along that something was going on. But somehow they suppressed it, maybe because Jesus, of course, it was, there's some other supernatural things going on here. But they sensed that he was there. Have you ever had that kind of sensation in your heart, kind of that spiritual sensation that, that God is there? Maybe you were walking down along the Stanislaus River and you're by yourself and it's quiet and it's peaceful. Um, you see a deer, but you didn't bring your gun. So this is Oakdale, right? But, but you're walking along and you say, hey, um, this is beautiful. And all of a sudden, as you hear the ripple of the streams and a bird crows and flies overhead, and you feel the sense that there's something bigger here than me. There's somebody here. You ever had that sensation? You ever been reading your Bible and something comes out and it's like, whoa, I never saw that. I've read this passage before and I've never seen this and it's something that applies to me. Or have you ever had sort of this internal nudge, I need to call this person or I need to pray for this person and then find out after you do that they were in a time of crisis? Ever have a difficult decision and you just say, I can't make up my mind, I can't make up my mind, all of a sudden it's like, boy, and clear, I know what God wants me to do. I think sometimes we minimize the work of God's Spirit in our hearts. We're afraid of going overboard, which we definitely need to be careful of, but I think that God does work in our hearts. We need to check what's happening with the Scriptures, but there are times that He nudges us. One of the greatest, I think one of my greatest regrets as a person, in my own personal walk with God, is how often I have suppressed what I believe God has told me to do. You, you know what I'm saying? I don't have time for that now. I couldn't mean that. I don't want to do that. And so I don't, and then later I realize, I should have done that. I think God was nudging me to do that, and I wasn't. I find that the more time I spend reading the Bible, and the more time I spend praying, I do that on a regular basis, the more I'm attentive to what he may want me to do. Um, and I recognize that he's with us. Some of the mystics of old were really good at this, this idea of practicing the presence of God, being aware of him all the time and whatever you're doing. We've become so distracted. We need to unplug. We need to unplug. And we need to spend time with him and be aware of what he's telling us no matter what we're doing. Now, the last thing we see is that 
they want to tell those close to them. We need to tell those close to us what God's doing. And verses 33 through 35 says, They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So it appears that they went back right away. So now we're on evening. It's still Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, but now it's in the evening, probably getting later evening. And they found the eleven. Notice they don't call them the twelve anymore. Why? Because Judas had betrayed him. So now they're called the eleven. It assumes that all the 11 are there, but we know from John that Thomas was actually missing. It isn't inaccurate for him to say that because, for example, he'll call the Jewish religious leaders the Sanhedrin, which means there were 70 of them, but not all 70 were always assembled. That was just their title. But I suspect he probably maybe didn't even know that. Remember, Luke was interviewing people, so he maybe didn't realize that Thomas was absent. But God wanted us to get that message, and so he tells us that message later through John. John was probably aware that it had been left out, so he says, I want you to know this part about Thomas too. But that's not what he wants to focus on here. What he wants to focus on is that there were at least, you know, this, his primary disciples or followers are there, and there were others, possibly close to 70, because remember he had 70 people that he sent out as missionaries earlier, and the women, and if you add all that up, it gets around 120 people, which is what Luke says in the next book, the Acts of the Apostles that he wrote, that there were about 120 people when they were all assembled. And so these people are all gathered together and, and Jesus comes in, right? Later, wait till next week. So that's a, that's a preview for next week. But he's not there yet, but they know he's coming because they know he's alive and they're excited. They're really excited. He's appeared to Simon, which is another name for Peter. That was his real name. He's appeared to Simon the Rock. That's what his name Peter meant. And they're, these guys, they're fired up and they won't let him talk. That's what's kind of funny here. They've come to tell their story and they can't tell their story because everybody else is so excited about their story. And everybody can't get in a word edgewise. And they finally all talk about it. So you ever get excited about stuff and you want to tell people? You get an A on the paper, you know, who you're going to call, you audition for the player, for the band, and you get called, and who you're going to call, you make your first basket, who you're going to call. You get a job promotion, get a new job, you get engaged, you're pregnant, right? You don't say, well, let's just keep this to ourselves. Let's not tell anybody ever. This is just us, right? You have somebody you want to tell. And we do that. That's what we naturally do. It's only natural for us as human beings to tell those people closest to us what's going on. And that's exactly what they do. They get excited and they go and tell those people close to them. So here's a question for us today is, are you doing the walk? Are you talking with God? These guys poured their hearts out to God. They poured their hearts out to Jesus and he listened to them. And Jesus wants to listen to us too. We need to pour our hearts out to him. It may mean setting up a time and place for us to do that. It may be for us it's early in the morning before everybody's awake or late at night when they all go to bed or maybe some other time, some other niche in the day. But certainly throughout the day, all day long, we talk to him because he's always with us. We talk to him, we, we praise him, we thank him, we confess our sins, we talk about people, we pray about people. We just pour our hearts out. The second, and some of these are going to relate to you more than others, but, but are you listening as you walk? 
And we listen to him primarily by reading his word, right? So that means that we need to be reading our Bibles. And again, they, there may be a certain time that you can do that. And, and for some people that are extremely busy, even still you can read a couple verses, try to memorize it, and think about those verses throughout the day. But we have the, um, the, da- the Daily Bread, which is a little devotional guide that will walk you through the Bible that you can get for free at the back table. You can get that on, your, on an app. Or you can do different studies on your own in the Bible. You can look up words. You can look up passages. You can get into the booklets. We have material right now, media, through our small groups. You can get into a small group and study the Bible on a regular basis and make sure that you're spending time studying the Bible and getting to know God better. Now, do you recognize who you are walking with? And that, that's an interesting one. There should be change in our life. I was listening to a Francis Chan sermon on uh, Colossians 2, and he was saying the other day that if a person truly knows Christ, their life will change. There will be transformation. And I think what happens sometimes is we just go through the emotions. We can go to church. We can kind of read the Bible once in a while. We can kind of pray regularly. But it's all like we're kind of just going through the motions. But we're not really taking time to stop and listen and think about him and his presence in our life. And that's a very important thing to do. Now, again, we have to be careful. It needs to agree with what the Bible says, and it's not one of those things that you go and you say to somebody, this is what God has told me to tell you you ought to do. Uh, that's not fair, because if God's not telling me to do that, then he may not be telling you to do that. You know? it's, it, but it is okay to pray for other people. Uh, if God's put somebody on your heart, pray for them. Uh, you realize that person needs some encouragement, go to them and encourage them. You realize that maybe you need to take the day off and spend some time with your family, or maybe you need to spend more time with God. Maybe you need to take a day and not eat and just use your, your breaks um, that you would normally eat and as times to pray. God may put these things on your heart and you need to follow through on it. And don't discard dreams, by the way. Dreams can be really wacky. Some of my dreams are so weird sometimes and uh, I, I'll stop my dreams sometimes and say, I don't like that. You know, wake up right in the middle of it, you know, if I don't like it. But sometimes the dreams can be God communicating to us. I knew uh, a lady one time, I was talking to a lady, and she told me that she had these dreams, and she was struggling in her walk with the Lord. She had these dreams that she was crucifying Christ, and it really bothered her. Well, years down the road, I said, how's things going today? She says, I, I don't walk with God anymore. You know, I, I've rejected that. And I said, really? She said, well, if he did something, if I ever had some special sign in my life, then I think I'd believe. Well, you know what? I think she did. I think he was letting her know, this is what you're doing to me. Your actions are like crucifying me. They're painful. He got her attention. He'll get our attention through all sorts of ways. Find like a lot of times Muslims are not able to come out. Muslim women you know, are kept in the back because it's part of their society. They keep them very private. And yet a lot of Muslim women in particular are coming to the Lord through dreams. And we're seeing that happen again and again. So be careful, but at the same time, be aware of God's presence in your life. Be, you know, there is something, you know, it, it, we need to engage the head, but the heart is okay to be able to sense that God is there and he's working in your life. And then, are you interacting with others? One is you attend church. That's our family reunion. We do that weekly. That should be important. And then also connect with a small group. If you haven't, let us know. We'll get you in a small group where you can connect with others and build relationships with other people in Jesus Christ. And then finally, Think about those people that don't know the Lord. That's what will ultimately happen here is they'll be told, go tell other people. So go tell the people in your life. And you don't have to preach at people. Just those 
people that God has placed in your life, friends, family, co-workers, and so forth, just be honest with your life just as they're honest with theirs. There are things they tell you that sometimes you kind of say, oh, I don't know if I'm interested in that, but you love them and you listen to them. And you just tell them, if they ask you not to, that's fine, but just tell them about your life and just share that on just part of who you are and let God do what he will do um, as he works in people's lives. By the way, if anybody needs any historical evidence for the you know, resurrection, this is a great passage for that, isn't it? Lots of great stuff here. So this concept of walking with Jesus. You know, we've talked about it in the church. We even have a little booklet that kind of helps you walk through things with Jesus. We've added some other things here, but a lot of, lot of the stuff that we've heard, but it's really important stuff for us to see. If this is a new concept for you, it's something that God wants for you. If it's something that maybe is not new, maybe you've done it for a while and you've fallen away, you can start new today. It's an opportunity for you to get a new start. You know, how do you do that? How do you do the walk? You just put one foot in step of the other. That's how you walk, right? One foot in step of the other, in front of the other. That's all we have to do. Uh, you start by you surrender your life to Christ. You talk to him through prayer. You listen to him through Bible study and messages that you receive. You build relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. You reach out to those that don't know Christ. You practice the presence of God. You try to be aware of what he might be telling you through the scriptures or in your heart, what he might be moving you to do in your life. And you follow through on it. You're obedient to it and, and you enjoy it. It's just like walking with him, which is what we really should be doing. You don't have to know everything to start with. It's, again, just one step at a time. And sometimes that first step takes a little bit of faith. But each step that you take, I think the faith grows stronger as you ascend your way to heaven. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way. He said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. You may not see the whole staircase to heaven. A lot of times it's just taking that one step at a time. And as you ascend, uh, life gets more and more exciting. And that's my prayer for each of us, that we'll just keep taking those steps um, up into our relationship with the Lord. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much for these guys. I don't know if it's two guys or a husband and wife, Cleopas and his companion. But we thank you for the example of their lives and their interaction with Jesus that obviously changed them and was put in for all posterity for us in the Bible. And we pray that for us, that like them, that we would realize that even if we don't see you or recognize you, that you are with us always. And so we would always walk with you in the sense that we'd be talking to you, listening to you, um, doing so with other brothers and sisters in Christ, telling others about you and allowing you to do your walk through us. Pray that if anybody does not yet know you, that today could be the day that they begin that walk. We pray these things in your name. Amen.